Today's scripture reading actually comes from John 20, 19 through uh, 21. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which, were not, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> this is Easter, and you're all going to die. This is the second Sunday of Easter, the Easter season, known also historically as the least attended Sunday of the year. I guess people feel like after bearing witness to the torture, execution, and resurrection of God from the dead to bring new life to the world, that they deserve a break, like it was somehow hard on them. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. You know what? I'm glad I like the lowest attended Sunday of the year, you know, because I can finally just tell the truth and not get stoned, right? Because, like, you can take it. This is, look, are you afraid to die? I mean, I, I guess, no, no, I guess that is what I meant. Um, did I mention that you're all going to die? Yeah, okay. It's nothing personal. I mean, I just wanted to, you know, uh, Um, I'm sorry. Am I coming off a little hostile, maybe? A little bit defensive, maybe? I don't really mean, I don't really mean that I'm glad that this is the lowest attendance Sunday of the year, and I'm not really glad that some people aren't here. 
I guess I'm just, I am feeling a little bit defensive, you know? It's not, and it's not because people don't, didn't show up, you know, to church I don't, on Easter, this Sunday after Easter. I don't care. I mean, if you don't want to go to church, it seems like you shouldn't, you know? So I don't care about that. It's just like, um, it's this uh, death thing. I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable, I guess, um, about dying. See, as somebody pointed out, my birthday was this week, and I just turned 45. And I said to someone on my birthday that, well, I'm 45. I guess my life is uh, just about half over now. And they laughed. Like this was some big joke. Like, of course, you're never going to make it to 90. (laughs) You know? Like it was just an assumed thing. You know? So, my life is more than half over? Uh, How much more? I don't know. It's kind of embarrassing to talk about, actually. I don't know why, but it just seems weird to talk about, like, I'm getting old and I'm going to die. Yeah. I mean, saying this out loud is kind of, I don't know, I feel a little silly. Like, you know what, I'll be, uh, can I be honest with you? I mean, I do feel a little vulnerable, but I feel like this is a safe place. I can talk to you. Um, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Like, you know, maybe not ever, actually, you know? Um, I get scared sometimes when I think about dying. You know, and when I'm scared, it's weird. I think I'm, I'm different than other people this way. When I'm scared, I can sometimes act defensive, even hostile, maybe. It's a fluke in my personality. So, yeah, I come off a little hostile sometimes. And, I mean, I'm sorry, I did not mean to take it all out on you, you know? I didn't mean to take it out on you, especially because I know, I mean, you... You care about me, and I can, I can speak to you, and I can be vulnerable here with you, and you, you understand. And So I just want to say I'm sorry, and I'm glad that this is a safe place. So yeah, um, I'm going to die, and that kind of freaks me out, scares me. So, you know, what do I do, you know? I'm scared, and for, so the first thing I do is I get up here, and I say, this is Easter, and you're all going to die. It's not very nice, you know? So please know I was just feeling vulnerable about the fact that I'm going to die, so I had to say, well, you're going to die too. It's not just me. It's very immature. I'm really glad you're so understanding. And I, um, well, you know, I think I've probably talked about this long enough, okay? So, uh, wow, you know about this text tonight. This, some, this text, there's some weird things in this text. I mean, weird and interesting, you know? I mean, this text, you probably know, is commonly referred to as the Doubting Thomas story, which you've probably heard before, too, is very unfairly named. 
I mean, Thomas gets to go down in history as some sort of man of little faith, some negative example, some cautionary tale, just because he wasn't in the room the first time that Jesus showed up. I mean, the other disciples, they tell him that they have seen Jesus, and he says, I won't believe it. I won't believe it until, unless I see Jesus for myself. Well, this is really no different than the experience that the rest of the disciples had. I mean, they were all scared. They were hiding out. The text say, says that they had locked themselves in a house because they were afraid of the people who killed Jesus were going to come after them next to kill them. And then Jesus appears in their midst, somehow getting past the locked door. I don't know. This is one of those weird things in the text. It's kind of like he like materializes, you know. It's a weird thing, but it's interesting. Anyway, the other disciples, they didn't believe that Jesus had come back from being dead either until they saw him. So Thomas is really no different. The others have just already had the benefit of seeing Jesus. Jesus even, it says, breathes on them and says, I'm breathing the Holy Spirit on you. Receive it. He tells them that he's sending them out in the same way the Father had sent him. See, yeah, that part right there, that's interesting. Like, huh, that could be a whole sermon right there. What does that mean? But I'm not going to preach that sermon. Then Jesus tells them, if you forgive any sins, they will be forgiven. And if you retain any sins, they will be retained. Like, what is that about? You know, I mean, right there, what does that even mean? What does it mean to retain someone's sins? That could be a whole other sermon right there. I'm not going to preach that one either. But I am going to preach the one about Thomas and what he says and how uh, he meets Jesus and what Jesus says and what Thomas does. That one I am going to preach. You see, the disciples say, you know, we have seen Jesus. And Thomas, right here, the text throws in this parenthetically that uh, Thomas is called the twin. Hmm. I mean, I don't know what, why. What is that about? Is it like some early attempt to correct the nickname, to get it right? Had the doubter nickname already stuck even before John wrote this down? He is called the twin, not the doubter. I want to make that clear. No doubting. If Luke throws in the twin, is that maybe must be because he is a twin? Where's the other one? You know? If Thomas has somebody else just like, just like him, who is that? Is it me? Sorry, I'm kind of digressing a little bit. Yeah, but as long as I am, can I get back to this death thing one more time? Just... Like, do you really think it's true that all of our striving and making and doing is an attempt to deny death? Do you really think that our culture's obsession with youth, with being young, attempting to look young, is all about our fear of death? Aging leads inevitably to death. And we are freaked out by death. So we try to look like we're not getting old, like we're not going to die. I mean, not you. Not you. I know that you are very well-adjusted, and you are comfortable with who you are and how you look. 
And I'm not saying you look old. I'm not saying that at all. No, um, you look great. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even saying that you look great for someone your age. I'm saying that, you know, you're not, you're not even old. You're not old. You're very young. You're, you're young. Not that it's bad to be old, but you aren't. And that you look age-appropriately great <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I'm not talking about you when I say these things. I'm talking about other people. When I say all our attempts to accomplish things and be successful and be better than other people and to be noticed and to accumulate wealth is motivated by the fear of death. Some people say all fear is really a fear of death. I'm talking about me when I say that. Um, maybe those of us who fear death fear it because it's this great, mysterious unknown. I mean, this is one of the most basic experience, right, of being human. We all know about it and that it's going to happen and that it happens all the time. But the observable, knowable part of death is of, like, ceasing to exist. I, I mean, I know forever humans have, have told stories about another part of death, about what happens after the body dies, like something continues to live on or life continues, even though it looks to all observers that it does not. Humans have always told stories about life after death. I mean, some people have like created whole religions based on it, you know? Based faiths on it. Based faith on the idea of a life after you die. And I guess that's really the only way you can talk about it, or the only way you can know it is by faith, because it's not observable. Faith, um, yeah. I uh, don't want to cease to exist. Is that... I, can, I guess I can move on from the death thing. Um, and get back to Thomas. <sighs> I keep getting sidetracked by this, but you know, hey, at least I'm not being hostile and defensive again. Or was that a little defensive? Sorry, I don't want to die. Thomas says to his friends, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Does this seem like an outrageous thing to say? Do you think he really is considering sticking his finger into the wound, the weak, old, torn skin, shattered bone, torn muscles? Were, the, were these wounds, were they cleaned? Is there dried blood? Is the tissue, like, does it get hard? I don't know. Do you think he's really considering sticking his hand into the gaping wound, into Jesus' chest cavity? Maybe he's saying such an outrageous thing to point out how unlikely it is that this opportunity will present itself. Well, guess what? The twin, a week later, the text says, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were shut, 
Jesus came and stood among them. Why does the author keep pointing out that Jesus is able to materialize out of nowhere or go through solid doors? Anyway, there's Jesus, and Jesus says, peace be with you. Because it seems like that's what Jesus always says in situations like this. Peace be with you. Then he looks Thomas in the eye, his own eyes moist, with a kind of half-smile on his face. He gently takes Thomas's left hand in his right, takes Thomas's index finger, and holds, it in, holds out his own left hand, palm up, and says, put your finger here, as he slowly puts Thomas's finger into the wound and pulls it out. And here, he says, lifting up his left arm above his head to expose the wound in his side and to open it up. And he takes Thomas's hand and he places it inside him, saying, this is my body given for you. And he holds Thomas's hand inside him. And he says, this is my body. These are the wounds that killed me. And though my body was given over to death, I returned, not having eliminated death, but taking it with me when I rose up. I have taken death with me, taken death inside of me, and he takes Thomas's hand out of his side. And one by one, he goes to all the disciples and takes their hand and places their hands in his wounds, saying, I have come to show you what death looks like. Death looks like me. That which you once feared has been remade, resurrected, Death looks like me. I have shown you this so that you might believe that death has no power over you. So that you might believe that I am the Son of God, come in love to embrace death so that you might embrace life in my name. This is Easter, and we're all going to die. And in the acceptance of that death, we will live. We are made alive in the acceptance and embrace of that death. This is Easter, and we are all going to live. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. And I'm sure those people are. But they are not our people. They are not us, because every week, we take up the wounded body which contains and transforms death into fertile aliveness. And we put the wounded body in our mouths, and we drink the blood that no longer represents the loss of life, but the beginning of a heightened, new, renewing life. Every week, we embrace the wounds, and we are alive. 